this is one of my favorite weeks in the church. And it's because of what God does in the lives of these kids, but it's also because I love to see the church rise up to the occasion during VBS. Um, it, you know, a lot of times we can kind of get stuck in the same patterns on Sunday mornings and stuck t- talking to the same people, and that's a good thing, but it is awesome when we see the church come together and really rise up to do kingdom work. And the theme this year, you know, concretes and cr- cranes, building that, s- that strong foundation into the life of these kids, that was just so fitting. And, and um, so many of you and so many other people in this church, um, they rose up to the occasion to invest in these kids and to, to build that strong foundation. It was awesome to see lives change and kids asking questions about life with Jesus and saying, I want to know more about life with Jesus and saying, I want to have that life with Jesus. There was so much of that going on. And, you know, like Jeff said, it, you know, we didn't, it was a little different this year. We didn't know what it was going to look like with COVID, but we, know, we just knew that God was telling us to go forward. And so, you know, Nelaine and Ellen, back and forth, how do we do this? Do we do it in a completely different God is, God is telling us to do this, and so we're going to do it. We're going to give all we can, and it, it just amazes me, although it shouldn't amaze me because God does it every time. When you step up in faith to do things for God, he, he always does amazing things through that, and that's what he did this week. Did you guys hear about the offering? Yeah, so, so if you've never been to a VBS, you've never seen the offering. It is something to see because, you know, yes, we have a, a missions offering, VBS, a lot of churches do that, but we made it boys versus girls. And so when you throw competition in there, these kids get fired up for this offering. I mean, the, they, they take this seriously. And, you know, it's funny because last year, we, our offering's gone up every year. We've, we've had 600, 700, we had $966 last year, okay? And so we, smaller VBS, we're thinking um, the number's probably gonna be smaller in the offering too, right? And so we're, we decided, uh, Ellen really had it on our heart, we got, we've gotta support locally this year. So we supported youth and family services. There's just such a great need, so many broken families and kids that, that really need to know the love of Jesus and need to know that they're valued. And so we wanted to support youth and family services. And the first day, now, first day, I mean, whatever, um, $6 came in. All right, all right, that's all right. Day two, we're at $120. And so I'm no longer nervous. I'm like, okay, we'll definitely be able to give some kind of special gift to youth and family services. We'll be all right. We're on track. God's got this. I know that. We, we can probably get to that. I'm sure we're going to get to that $500 kind of goal in my head of what a nice gift would be to youth and family services. And then day three comes around, okay? What, it was $428 to $431. So not only were we already on the verge of eclipsing last year's 966, but it was so close, $3 in competition. I mean, these kids, they were like, they were, they were just, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? They were ready to go and get money from every seat corner, every grandparent, and um, it was awesome. And so the last day, I mean... $1,700 came in. Half as many kids. Mind-blowing. But it was a reminder to me, a quote that I've heard from um, William Carey, great missionary, one of the fathers of the modern missionary movement who went to India. And he said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Our God always works in the miraculous. He lo- when his people step out in faith, he loves coming and doing great things 
as we do his kingdom work. And I saw that. We all saw that this week at VBS as that strong foundation in Jesus was, was uh, laid amongst our kids. And that was all week. I'm thinking, wow, this, this is going to be a great sermon intro because I'm, I, we're in Nehemiah. I'm like, I'm, I'm all focused on building and, um, and I'm seeing it all week and what was going on in the lives of our kids. Okay, So... Um, a little bit more. All right, so where are we? We're studying Nehemiah right now. This year we've been on the F260 reading plan. We started in Genesis and we are going all the way through Scripture. And if you, you, if you haven't started that reading plan with us, we've got copies out in the back table. It is never too late to join in. And so, you know, last week we're in Ezra and we've gone through the history books of the Old Testament. We're getting very close to the New Testament. But now we are in Nehemiah. So if you'd like to turn with me to Nehemiah, I'm, I'm, if you have one of the... the Bibles that's in the chair in front of you, uh, that's, in, that's page 307. You can turn there. And I tell you what, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles and take them, take, take it home, because we think it's so important for you to have a copy um, of the Word of God that you can, you can read and you can have as your own. But we're in 307 there. We're going to do the book of Nehemiah. We're going to look at it. We're actually going to go through chapters 1 through 6. We're going to focus a little bit on chapters 1 through 2. Okay, so context. What's going on in the book of Nehemiah, all right? So a long time ago, country far, far away, God called a guy named Abraham, and he said, you will be a great nation. I'm going to raise you up. You are going to go to this land. You're going to become a great nation, and, and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. That was a promise to Abraham, and then eventually the promise grew. Is that in the promised land, as the nation of Abraham became the nation of Israel, God's people. And God said to this special chosen people, you will be my people. You are my treasured possession. You are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is the way you should live. And it was great for like two seconds before they started turning to other gods and giving their affections to false gods and idols and, and to the gods of the other nations that surrounded them and not to the one true God. And God kept saying, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. And they didn't pay attention. He said, Jeremiah 29, we, we, we learned that they're going to they're go into exile. Okay? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So you're going to go into exile. You're going to be there for 70 years, but then you're going to come back. After 70 years, this was foretold before they even went into exile that God's going to bring them back. So a little timeline here for you. Okay, so 605 B.C., that was when the first deportation, the first group from Israel was brought into exile into Babylon. All right. 586 BC, that was the final deportation. So the final group of people was brought over and the temple was destroyed. The temple, this was the center of the religious activity. This is where worship happened. This is, I mean, this was what God had, had, had through Solomon, you know, this will be your place of worship, and that is destroyed. It looked like God's promises are no longer going to be fulfilled, but God is always in control, okay? And so that was Babylon that destroyed the temple, bring them into exile. 539 B.C., though, Persia raise, rises up as the next big empire. Persia conquers Babylon. So the Jewish exiles, they are now under control of the Persian Empire. The, king, the answer to the king of Persia. King of Persia really isn't interested in holding on to these Jewish captives. And so he allows them to go back to the land, fulfilling the promise 70 years later 
God will return them to exile, from exile to the promised land. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, they're, they're actually originally written as two books together. And they tell the story of three returns from exile to the promised land. 536 BC, which we hear about in Ezra 1 through 6, Zerubbabel's return to the promised land. 515 BC, the temple is completed. Ezra 710, that talks about Ezra's return to the promised land. That's a 458 BC, okay? And now we've got the third return from exile to the promised land, and this one was led by Nehemiah. So in the first couple of returns, they had begun to rebuild, they were rebuilding the temple, the place of worship. The second return, they focused on rebuilding the spiritual life of the people. But they had never taken care of the walls around the temple. The walls were broken and destroyed, and this was a problem. God was going to raise up Nehemiah to complete this important kingdom work to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah led the people to rebuild a physical wall, but there are important lessons in this book for us today about building kingdom work and rebuilding what is broken. And so that's where, that's where we're going today. Nehemiah in the return. All right, let's look Chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The people are in great trouble and shame. Jerusalem is broken down. The gates are destroyed. This was a huge problem, and it brought, it brought Nehemiah to his knees. Nehemiah's mourning for the brokenness in Jerusalem. What's the big deal about a wall, anyways? Well, first off, I mean, there's obviously the security factor. You know, you have a wall around the city that, that keeps everything on the outside that shouldn't be on the inside, that keeps us, them physically safe. And it preserved the worship of God. This was, this was the temple we're talking about. This is where sacrifice and worship happened that needed to be kept pure. There was also an identity issue that I think was, uh, was so important for the people of God at this time um, and all times. You see, when, it, when they first came out of Egypt to the promised land, God warned them, do not marry, marry into these other surrounding nations because they will bring they're false gods, and you will give your affections to their gods instead of to me. And so here they are without a wall, and all the surrounding nations, ah, the Jews, they're back. We're going to come on in. At first, in Ezra, it sounded ever so innocent. We want to come in and worship with you. We want to be with you. But we've seen throughout Israel's history, it was never innocent. When they started to let in the surrounding nations, no, they no longer gave their, their love to their God. They no longer gave their worship to their God. 
They gave it out to all the others, and that's what got them into the problem in the first place. They needed to preserve their identity as, the, as God's special chosen people. Yes, they were to be a blessing for all nations, but it, it needed, they couldn't do that if they weren't fully devoted to their God and had, had that pure identity as the people of God. So this wall was critical. And look at the effect that it had on Nehemiah. It crushed him. It said he wept and he mourned over this. Okay? It tore him apart. What gives someone this kind of urgency? What kind of gives, some, what gives somebody this kind of emotion, right? I mean, I, I hear about things that are broken in the world all the time. I don't necessarily get brought to my knees the way Nehemiah did. But he had such a heart for what was broken. When he heard the news of the brokenness in Jerusalem, God gave him an urgent vision of the kingdom work that needed to be done. An urgent vision, an urgent um, call, if you will. This isn't right and it needs to be fixed. And I tell you what, a lot of times I think our, our, our easy responses are to, um, I'll pray about it and then I'm going to move on with my life. And oh, he prayed. But this, we're going to see, this was like, this was a serious, passionate prayer. God, it's not right. It's broken. How are you going to use me? How are you going to use me? He says he wept and he mourned. All right? What are some of the urgent needs in our world today? What comes to mind? There's different types of urgent need. Different, lots of different kingdom work that we need to focus on as the church the first is there's individual need. It's, you know, it's, it's likely that there's probably some in here that, did, that, have not, that are not on the right side of eternity yet. You haven't crossed from death to life. You haven't received the good news of the gospel. You haven't truly recognized what it means to, to know that we are all born sinners. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal Christ, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If that's you and you haven't gotten an urgency for that gift that God wants to give you, I think what we've been learning in life these days with COVID and everything else, that life is fragile. Don't waste another day. God wants to give you that freedom. God wants to give you the gift of eternal life. Have an urgency for that. Because it's not just eternal life, it's the abundant life that comes with Jesus. There may also be some in this room that have become complacent in their personal spiritual lives. You know, I'm talking about long ago, the joy that you had for when you first found Jesus and Jesus changed your life, but then you get complacent. You start going about the, the routines and, and you've forgotten what it's like to truly be in love with Jesus and you're not growing. Are you growing? Do you have an urgency to grow so God can use you? The church needs you. God wants, desires to use you, and he desires for you to have the abundant life. But if you don't have an urgency about reclaiming that, just like in marriage, you can get very dull in that relationship. So there's urgent individual need. There's urgent family need in our world. There are so many broken families these days. And a lot of times it happens when we're, when we're least expecting it because we've gotten lazy loving our spouses, lazy loving our kids, and, and we don't even realize that we've drifted. So many divorces, and so many divorces that are within the church 
Do we have an urgency about the kingdom work that we need to do in our families? We talk about the need for the church to go and make disciples of all nations, and we, and we spend so much time focusing, how are we going to make disciples out there? When Can you imagine in the church if we really focused on discipleship in our families and had strong families, the impact that that alone would have? There's urgent kingdom work that needs to be done in our families. There's urgent kingdom work that needs to be done locally. Every single one of you here is a missionary. Not just those that have visited from far beyond in Mexico. Every single one of us is a missionary. God has strategically placed you here for a reason, to be a light for him, for whatever neighbors are in your path, uh, coworkers, uh, fellow students, you know, whatever. God has placed you where you're at for a reason. There's urgent kingdom work that needs, needs to be done in your community where you're at. There's so much need locally. I mentioned youth and family services who we supported through uh, the VBS Missions Project. They're doing incredible work. There are so many kids that are just caught in between where there's brokenness in their families and, and, and they're just, they've been left and who is going to love them? And they're feeling like they have no worth and no value. That is such an opportunity for the church to step in and say, you are loved, you are valued. There is incredible, urgent kingdom need here in our communities. And there is urgent global need as well. Now, I know this is probably the part where, where most people check out and say, well, that's good. Well, we've got missionaries in the back, so what? that's great. We're friends with them. They're going to go do the global work, and we're partners with them, so we can pray. We can support with money, but man, there is urgent global work. And if we're going to reach the nations, as Jesus has called us to do, there needs to be heightened urgency within our churches. Not everybody is going to be called to be a global missionary, but I believe everybody, and I believe scripture supports that everybody should be called as a global Christian. Are you aware of what God is doing worldwide? Do you have a burden as Nehemiah did for where brokenness? Last week, uh, Joel mentioned a book that our staff has been reading, Something Needs to Change by David Platt. And he is a, you know, he, uh, he went hiking in the Himalayas where there are unreached people and saw what that truly means. So many people groups, different languages, communities that have no access to the gospel, where they have urgent physical need, urgent spiritual need, and nobody is going to them. Do we have an urgency for that? I may never go to the Himalayas personally, but as the church, the church is the answer to go to the nations. So we have to have that urgency. We have to be aware of, of where there is need and where there is brokenness. We have to have a heart for it. And what do we need to do? Well, I tell you what, when you look at something big like, hey, we need a bunch of global missionaries to go to these nations. Who's going to raise their, nobody's, probably no one's going to raise their hand, but are you going to take the next step into that need? And before you know it, God may surprise you. I love to talk about my, uh, um, one of the pastors I had in college ministry. This is before he went to seminary. And he was, he was one of those guys. He worked at Banana Republic. We'd go on short-term missions uh, trips, and everybody came back, and we're like, wow, this was incredible. And Chris was, was like, yeah, that's great, but I really need a shower. And, uh, and he said, you know what? I'm ready to go wherever God calls me, but 
I am not called to global missions. Okay, Chris. And we believed it because we knew Chris. And um, he's, the one, he's actually the person when I, was, when I got engaged and I told him what kind of wedding ring, uh, wedding ring I was going to get, he called and said, no, 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 this is what you need to do. This is the type of ring you need to get. You gave me all that. Well, anyways, Chris goes to seminary. He miss, marries Christina. You want to guess where Christina was called to? Yeah, they, they wound up in South Africa the next year. So never say God will never send you anywhere. Because our God is a global God. He is on the move and he is using his church. There is great global need. I painted the picture of a lot of need. I hope you're starting to process. How is the spirit speaking to you? What, has God, what, what is God burdening with you? Where, where are the places God is calling you to go that you need to step into kingdom work in any of these four areas? Hopefully all of these four areas. There is urgent need. And so the first thing we learned from Nehemiah is um, that we must move from complacency to urgency. Because what's keeping us from responding to urgent need? A lot of times, the most deadly enemy to urgency is complacency. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah to say, I've got more important things to do. My life's here. I've got an important position. My family's here. My mother's sick. The kids are in school. Urgency, complacency keeps us from urgency. Do you have an urgency? Nehemiah, he got down on his knees and he prayed. I'm, I'm not going to put it on the slide, but I, I want to read that prayer at the beginning of verse 5. It's an incredible prayer, incredible prayer. And he said, beginning verse 5 of chapter 1, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your ears, eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uppermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I've chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah is focused on the promises of God right now and the person of God. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Okay, so an interesting turn there in the last sentence or two. I love, a good, I love t watching TV shows that like in the last 30 seconds, there's a twist. Anybody, anybody enjoy those shows? And you're, you're just waiting for it and waiting for it. And then you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. So up to this point, we just know that Nehemiah, he's in Persia, okay? And at the end of his prayer, he says something about grant him mercy, grant me mercy in the sight of this man. Okay, who's this man we're talking about here? And then he says, now as a cupbearer to the king. Whoa, there it is. That's important. The cupbearer to the king, this man who just got a burden of the great need all the way, great need all the way in Jerusalem, we find out he's the cupbearer. So what's a cupbearer? Okay? So the cupbearer, this isn't just someone who, who would bring the drink. This man was like chief of staff in the king of Persia's court. 
He would have been a, a trusted person because he's bringing the wine. You never trusted person. Uh, he would have had the, the best manners. He would have, quite simply, this is the kind of person, if you're the king, you don't just let him walk away. He's got an important job. Remember I was saying, you know, he could, I've got an important job. I can't go. There's other people there. They could go do that. Nehemiah was burdened. This surely looked like a significant obstacle. That's the second thing we're going to see in this text, okay? If we're going to respond to urgent need, there are going to be obstacles. And this was a big one right here. Would the king of Persia actually let Nehemiah go to Jerusalem? Because this is my chief of staff right here. You're not going to go help those Jews rebuild rubble in Jerusalem? No way. For four months, Nehemiah was on his knees praying to the Lord. Lord, I know that you want to use me. Lord, I break down these obstacles so that I can be used by you to meet this need. He's praying big prayers. And this takes us to uh, uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He's praying big prayers. What obstacles are you facing to meeting urgent need? We're about to see Nehemiah navigating this obstacle here. What obstacles are in your way? What keeps you from backing down when the moment to rise up is here. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, four months later, four months of fasting and praying, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. First off, here he is praying again. It's like he's got this constant communion with God. It wasn't just the one time. This man is, is so in step with God to be used by God's glory. And he recognizes that before he can ask anything of the king of Persia, he's got to ask first the king of heaven. And so he does. We continue in verse five. And he says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Let me go. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside me, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Now, if I'm, if I'm Nehemiah, I'm stopping right there. Okay, he said I could go, I'm out of here before he changes his mind. Oh no, not Nehemiah, because he is expecting great things from God, and so he's attempt, gonna attempt great things for God here. So he keeps going. He says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to, to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah knew that the good hand of God was upon him because he was doing kingdom work. He was devoted to doing this for God. And so he didn't just stop once he got over that initial obstacle, he says, he was dreaming big dreams of how he was going to be used for God's glory. He says, King, I'm also going to need this letter so I can give to all the surrounding nations so they know not to mess with us. And oh, by the way, can you give me a letter for your, your, 
the keeper of your forest so I can get a whole bunch of your best timber so we can go reconstruct the temple for the Lord, the one true God. He was unfazed. Those obstacles, they were nothing to meet Nehemiah because our God specializes in shattering whatever obstacle you think is keeping you from responding to urgent kingdom need. God wanted to give a child to Abraham and Sarah, but they were barren. And so they laughed at God and God said, I got this, I got this. The path out of Egypt for the Israelites, that came straight to a dead end with a big, huge sea, right? There is no way to pass. That's an obstacle. And God says, not in, not in my plans. Oh, there's a big, huge army right behind you. You worried about them? I got that too. God crushes the obstacles in our way when we will trust him in faith. Choose faith over obstacles. Death seemed like a pretty big obstacle too until three days later, Jesus came walking out of that tomb. There is no obstacle that cannot be overcome by our God if you will be faithful and if you will trust him. So Nehemiah chose faith over obstacles. So I'll ask you again, what obstacle is so big that's keeping you from respond, saying yes to God and rising up and doing the kingdom work that he's calling you to? Point three I want to make, we want to look at a, we're going to skip ahead to verse 17 of chapter 2. Verse 17 reads, Then I said to them, All right, so he's arrived in, he's arrived in Jerusalem. He's spent three days. He scouted out the land, and he comes to the people now. He says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands. I love this verse. First off, he reminds them, he tells them, verse 18, of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good. When there is, kingdom work is not easy. It was not going to be easy in Jerusalem. There's going to be long days. It's going to be hot and sweaty. They're going to be tired. They're, they're going to get mad at each other. It's going to be a tough road. Let me remind you that God's favor has been upon us. Church, we've got urgent kingdom work to step into that God needs us to go into. We need to remember the stories of God's faithfulness. Remember what God did this week in VBS. Remember what God has done in our short-term mission trips with, with, with the bakers. And remember all these incredible things that God has done. This is the fuel we need to step into urgent kingdom work. And then they stand up together and they say, let us rise up and build. This was their battle cry. This needs to be the battle cry of the church too. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build so that we can go to the lost and brokenhearted and be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us rise up and build so we can follow our, our calling, the Great Commission, to make disciples who make disciples. Let us rise up and build so we can extend the rule and reign of God into our families, into our communities, and into all the nations of the world as we have been called to. Let us rise up and build. And they said after that, or it says after that, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. When I first read this book, I had just been stuck on those words. So they strengthened 
their hands. They strengthened their hands. What would that look like? Who did the work of the building, right? Well, we know that all these things are by, by God's power, right? Yes, God's power through his people. He chooses to use his people for his best work. He uses us, he calls us. Calls us. And while we rely on his strength, God, fill me with your strength. It is not by my strength, it is by your strength. We need to rise up and be willing to be vessels of his strength. So we, they strengthen their hands. It means that this worship gathering that every week is so important. We need this. This is fuel for us as we go into the, word, go into the world. Our time in the word is so important to strengthen our hands. Do you have a reading plan that you're currently going through. If not, there is no better time to jump into our F260 reading plan. We're doing this together and it's so awesome to see how God has been speaking through that together. Strengthen your hands. Do you have good rhythms and routines of prayer? Love to talk to you about what that might look like if you have no clue what I'm talking about. Strengthen your hands. Church, we need to rise up, be willing to be used by God. God, strengthen our hands. So that's the next thing. Uh, strengthen your hands. Point number four, I want to jump back to verse number nine. Then I came, this was before he, he talked to the community. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent them, sent with me officers of the army and, and horsemen. But Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It displeased them because good was God's plans, God's purposes were happening. The people of God were thriving. And Sambalot and Tobiah, they hated this. Now, who were these guys? We don't have too much info, but these were governors. The governor to the north, Sambalot, Tobiah to the east, east. And then we also later hear about another guy, Geshem, the Arab. That's from the south. So these guys represent all the governors, all the surrounding nations around Jerusalem, and they hated it when the people of God were thriving because they hated the purposes of God coming to fruition. And this should not be surprising because really these guys, they're representative um, and they're fueled by Satan himself, who from the very beginning has been trying to thwart God's plans unsuccessfully. But he hates God's plans and hates God's people living out the goodness that God wants us to have. And so Satan is coming after us with everything he's got. He's been doing that since the Garden of Eden. He continues to do so. Friends, if we are going to step out with God to do his work, to do kingdom work, we can expect opposition. There will be opposition it's inevitable. That's how Satan works, but God is bigger. So we need to trust God over opposition. That's what Nehemiah did. So we actually see Sambalat and Tobiah, they show up throughout the first six, six chapters. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna walk through all that, but I do have a slide I wanna, or an image I wanna show that kind of gives a breakdown of the enemy tactics. And we can just look real quickly. How did the enemy attack Nehemiah? Okay, the first one was mockery. We see in 2 verse 19, they jeered at us and despised at us and says, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the team? Jeering, mockery, 
tell you what, negativity is a beatdown, isn't it? Man, you hop on social media, nobody's nice to each other these days. And I follow, on Twitter, I follow all sorts of Christian personalities and Christian leaders. And anytime anyone says something, there's, there's people coming with all sorts of attacks from every direction, jeering, mockery. We can expect that type of opposition. Next one, seeds of doubt. Chapter 4, verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Literally means limp plant. What are these limp plants doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones at that? You guys can't rebuild this wall. You're not strong enough. You don't have what it takes to keep, to, to keep on going through this. Inadequacy is one of the biggest things that keep us from stepping out in faith. When we, when we start to believe that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we can never match up. You know, maybe your small group leader says, hey, why don't you lead this Bible study? Well, they're so good and I'm not, I can't do that, right? Hey, why don't you come and love on these kids? Well, I've heard Miss Ellen speak. I'm, there's no way I can talk to kids. We start comparing ourselves to others. We start hearing the lies and believing Things are not true that God can't use you for this. God always uses regular, everyday people to do amazing things when they will step out in faith. Cannot believe the seeds of doubt. That's going to keep us right where we're at. We've got a couple more to look at. We've got mockery, seeds of doubt, confusion. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in, in it. The enemy knows that one of the biggest weapons he has against this church is to turn us against ourselves. Boy, howdy, have I been seeing that in this last six months, this lovely 2020 that we're in, right? Uh, if we can start fighting amongst ourselves, we aren't going to accomplish anything. We start getting confused. We don't even know who we're fighting anymore. We're just throwing punches left and right. The opposition has us right where he wants us. Violence. Sambalot and Geshem said to me, saying, come and let us meet together. It Something like that. And the plane of, oh no, but they intended to do me harm, intended to do me harm. I think most of us probably aren't in danger of being harmed by opposition for, for Christ. Physically, there are many Christians throughout the world that are in that danger. Our dear friend Wawa in Haiti certainly is right now. Uh, we can consider some other things. The enemy, or we might be vulnerable to loss. If I step out in faith and do this kingdom work, I'm gonna, I can't give money to this. I've, I've got to have, I would lose my savings. I would lose my ability to go on this vacation. The enemy starts having us worried about that kind of loss and that kind of harm, and we stay back. Lies. In it was written, it is reported amongst the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. False truths. The enemy's going to come at us, everything he's got. What's the answer? Let's look. I've got one more image, just a real quick overview of some of the ways that Nehemiah led the people to respond. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Just focus on the work God is leading to you to do. It'll be amazing that he takes care of all the periphery. Are you being faithful? Are you taking those steps? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great. Fight for your brothers. Focus on the mission. Focus on God. Focus on each other. 
VBS, we rubbing shoulders with everybody it was so awesome. We were doing it for each other. We were doing it for the kids. It was worth it that we were tired. And it was four straight days. It was worth it because we knew who we were doing it for, up and around us. And I sent messengers to them. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Sometimes we just, if they're causing us harm, I'm not even going to respond to this. You know, you can, you can actually mute people on social media. It's a great tool. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. We just need to continue to reorient ourselves to our God is mighty. He will give me the strength I need because there will be obstacles. There will be opposition. But God is mighty and he will give us the strength that we need to do his kingdom work. So trust God over opposition. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perished. This work had been accomplished, or for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 52 days. The opposition said, it can't be done. You can't do it. 52 days, God led his people to construct those walls. And look at the effect it had on the surrounding nations. They knew God did this, and he is mighty. God loves to show who he is through his people when we are faithful. What's God calling you to do? It may not be an audible voice. I've actually never had one of those. Sometimes it's just, are you burdened? What's God giving you a burden for? There is incredible kingdom work. We've talked about a bunch of things today. Just quickly in review, I got an image to show. Um, rise up and build, church. We must move from complacency to urgency. We need to choose faith over obstacles. Strengthen your hands. Trust God over opposition. Jeff's going to lead us right now in a, a song to respond. Prepare your hearts. How is God speaking to you in this moment? We've got to rise up. We've got to rise up because there is so much need, so much work to be done. Let's let our God speak to us now in this moment. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Y'all stand and sing that with me this morning. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned.